Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasted from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And if you've been following my Twitter feed, and if you don't, if you haven't been following my Twitter feed, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney too. Like my latest big tweet that I put it out is the next podcast that I'm doing a review of, doing a review of a movie. And I'm doing a review of a Brian De Palma movie. And Brian De Palma, who's known to be kind of like a polarizing figure when it comes to film fans of like being a Hitchcock ripoff or being a real true art tour and we're talking about one of his movies today but every podcast i have a guest with me who's with me today hi i'm vicky hi vicky hi how are you doing i'm doing good how are you i'm doing good as you you can tell from the title we're doing a review of dress to kill so let's jump into that right now So, the brief synopsis of Dress to Kill is this, that Kate Miller, played by Angie Dickinson, is having trouble with her marriage. And while she's, yep. seeing, while she's seeing a strength to define, like, what is her true problem and stuff like that, and she feels bored with her life, it's kind of like her midlife crisis. Right. And so she decides to take, follow her gut instinct on something and go home with a man after meeting him in the museum. Uh, it ends up... Well, coming back from the man's apartment that she has murdered, and that kicks off this murder mystery that starts like around 40 minutes into the movie where Nancy Allen, who plays Liz, a prostitute, sees what has happened. And everybody's trying to figure out who did this and why would somebody do this. And so her shrink, the detective, Liz herself, and... uh Kate's son, Peter, are all in the case to find out who is this person, who is this mysterious blonde that murdered um kate miller since we brought up kate miller what are your feelings on angie dickinson as kate miller in this i thought she was actually quite stunning really i was very captured by her um especially in that first scene with the shower right am i thinking of the right woman yeah um i was just captivated by her and i thought she was very very pretty and as a woman i think that's saying a lot maybe i had some weird girl crush on her during this movie I think I had a girl crush on just about every female character in this movie. <laughs> it's funny now. She like for most like the because the opening scene like in the opening shower scene has her like soaping herself up as her husband like shaves himself in the, in, the, in front of the mirror. Right now, like all like the close ups of like the woman's body parts were actually it was a body double. Right, and it was actually Playboy Poundhouse uh, uh, year model of Victoria Lynn Johnson. And because of the idea of a body double, that's where we, DePollin got the idea to do body double down the road. Um, once uh, Vicky and I get a hold of a decent Blu-ray copy of it. Oh my god, that's so frustrating. Yeah, uh, I bought a Blu-ray copy because I know there's an, there was an initial printing of body double. I know to go off a tangent really quick, and it was a limited printing of it, so it went it sold quickly. And now you can buy for like fifty bucks and up on Amazon or eBay. Yes. And I bought, I found one like oh for like twenty, and I'm like oh okay. 
not realizing that was a region B only, so I can't play it in, outside, outside, right. in, inside the United States. And so I was like, oh, I didn't find that out until I popped it into the Blu-ray player. Right. And it says right on the box, and I, and I feel idiotic for not uh, reading the fine print. Right. But then what happened when you tried to buy one? So I tried to buy one as like a surprise gift to you. Like, right. oh, I'm going to do something great. Yes. And I, I did my whole research on it. I think it took me almost what, an hour and a half just to find this one particular DVD. And it said that it was an all-region DVD. It was out for 15 bucks. I was so excited that I bought it right there on the spot. Mm. And I made sure that I checked the item description several times. Right. Just to make sure that it was an all-region. I get it about a couple days later because I have Prime and um, pop it into the DVD just because something looked a little off about it. Right. And it was a region B. I contacted this seller like it was nobody's business and I screamed at him. They literally said when they were getting back to me, sorry, your email kind of scared us, um, but you can have a full refund if you send the DVD back. I'm like, good. Did you send it back? <laughs> it's getting there this week, actually. Okay. I haven't had time to really run there. <laughs> uh, I did. I can find it now for 57 bucks right here on sealed on Amazon right now with like... <sighs> Maybe next paycheck I'll probably end up getting that stuff like that. But back to Andrew yes. Dickinson and Kate Miller. You're saying about the opening shower scene. Yes, the opening shower scene. Now I kind of knew it was a dream sequence because she was very sensual, very sexy. Not gonna lie, turned me on a little bit. Your face says it all. <laughs> <laughs> and as a woman, I think that that says a lot. Like I can appreciate the female form because right. myself, I am a woman. Well, I'm glad to know this. Right? I, ho- I hope you do know this. <laughs> yes. Um, I know an anamity. 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 All right. Don't hurt yourself, kid. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so I could appreciate that scene. The only scene that made me a little uncomfortable was right after that was the rape scene. Yeah. But on the other hand, I knew it was a dream sequence and I kind of thought that he was pointing something out there mm-hmm. on the struggles of women. You know, he got very sensual at one point and she was very flirty with her husband and then all of a sudden comes behind her and she was raped. Right. And By I a mysterious th- man. We don't know who that is. Right. It's and, just a man. Right. And I think... um. Oh, Nancy, what's her name? Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen says something about the same dream that she was also raped right. in her dream. Well, and I think that says a lot about um, De Palma and, and his filmmaking mm-hmm. with women that right. he can portray them as sex, you know, kind of sexual objects. But he also has a point of, well, they're not just sexual objects. And that, that's a big contention about De Palma as a filmmaker, because you think of this or by double or even the opening of Carrie where it's it's funny both Carrie and Dress to Kill open up in similar ways that yeah the shower scene the, the, sh- the shower scenes that start out very nice in slow motion and everything seems it, it sets a level of calm for you and, right. and then like the two probably worst things that could happen to a woman possible possible things happen oh, yeah. happen I mean Getting a period for your first time, and, yeah. <laughs> and then a, a sexual assault. Like those are, I know, obviously worlds apart in uh, intensity that what could happen, but it's it's caused a lot of people to detract from him, saying that oh, he's just a misogynistic person. 
See, I never, I didn't think of it as that. Maybe I'm just, <laughs> I'm not a big feminist. Right. Or maybe I shouldn't say that because I am a feminist in a way. But I never looked at a diploma film and went, ah, oh, he's such a sexist individual. No, I always looked at a diploma film and went, you know, I can relate to that. Right. As a woman, you know, you realize that, you know, the world just kind of looks at you as a sexual object and these things are happening. Right. And, you know, especially in Carrie, again, going off to sidetrack there. Yeah. Um, when she gets appeared for the first time, I can relate to that, just not in that most terrific way. Yeah. No, that's like the, the worst possible way that could happen oh, to yeah, you. Oh, yeah. No. But plug I it can, up, plug it up. Exactly. I can relate to getting my, we're just going to call him my friend for the first time. Yes. Keep it a little clean here. Yes. And I just, I have all brothers. So it's a little weird going into the bathroom and my brother's gone... Why is there blood all over the place? Like, oh, God. Oh, God. You know, it's horrifying as a child, especially when you're like 11 or 12 years old. Right. Now, Carrie was, I think, 16, but still, it's it's still a traumatic experience. I think it's because I know, like, I know... Mike and I have done a review of Carrie in the past. You can check us out uh, on that. We did a post that around October, but because of what Carrie White's position in high school and her own self, how she measures herself and self-worth. Yeah. And then that happens in a very public place and how the public reacts to it just, yeah. it just confounds everything, makes everything really worse for her. I think uh, it's worse for any young girl at yeah. that age, though. <laughs> but you sympathize with Carrie immediately because of that. Mm-hmm. Because of that. And... and Anyway, now, as Kate Miller moved, then we see her, then she has, then it cuts to having actual sex with a husband that she seems, that you, you pointed out. I pinged that. Yeah, you open up like, oh, she's totally faking. And it's like three seconds into the big shot that pushes into that. And and I'm looking at her, I'm like, how do you know? I'm like, just the way she's just like, ah, ah, ah. Like, really, who moans like that? Right. Who wiggles around that much? If you're not enjoying it and you're literally just wiggling around like that and just trying to get as much noise out of you as possible, you're so faking it. <laughs> Take notes, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little mean. <laughs> he won't see that one coming. I kind of want to apologize for him, but it's okay. I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> a running joke amongst uh, my close circle of friends is that Vicky believes I'm in several gay relationships with my very close friends. Oh, I don't believe. I know. <laughs> and so, and so, my friends and I we just run with it, just make it, and just make it as incredibly uncomfortable as possible. And then, oh yeah. Um, and then the next like big scene is then like Kamala. She then goes to see her string played by uh, Doctor Ellie, played by Michael Caine. Um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> Honest trailer, making fun of Inception, just like how we put us like my cocaine, <laughs> um, and then she reveals like her true feelings of like how she feels like how she's measured in her marriage, and then um, which it isn't even her first marriage; it's like her second. Yeah, because her first husband died in yeah. Vietnam. Like her, we don't find that out until like uh, her son reveals that to right. Yeah. Dr. Elliot, mm. after she's murdered. I believe there's definitely some some feeling towards that, that I feel like she just married this guy mm. just to marry this guy. So and her son could have a father figure exactly. in his life. And so she doesn't feel alone in her own selfish way. 
Right. You know, like instead of mourning, she just sort of moved on. Yeah, I mean, like we don't see we don't see her that her and her husband share a scene together. Besides that, no, you don't. But you see a very nice and mildly warm scene between her son and her. Yeah. And you obviously tell that she's obviously much closer to her son than her second husband. Oh yeah, definitely. And then she reveals like she asks like are you attracted she asked the, her doctor are you attracted to me and he's like of course would you like to sleep with me yes then why don't you do you think that is do you think it's too much of a man writing that or do you think that's something that in her position she would genuinely ask her doctor that someone with confident issues um and that's what i think she has okay i think she does have some confident issues there because she blatantly asked him well do you find me attractive right and usually women who ask that i'm not saying all women Mm -hmm. ask that don't get me wrong um but i'm saying just for her to sit there and say well do you find me attractive Mm -hmm. i think she definitely has some confident issues and as a woman i think i would ask that question you know to a stranger like hey do you find me pretty good would you want to sleep with me uh, great yeah i mean <laughs> you know I, I i think it's definitely something that she would have definitely asked in real life i don't think it would be a man writing it i think he, maybe he took from something natural or maybe something happened to him that he wrote this right maybe his wife at the time asked him that question or right maybe he was just drawing an experience but as a woman i feel like that would be something i would say in private to someone somebody she has she has a lot of admiration for and feels very comfortable with exactly and how many like people the joke is like people are more comfortable with their shrinks than they are their own family members exactly because their shrinks know everything about them they can dabble into their core and get to that right family members can't do that and, and the thing is that that dr ellie does not abuse that relationship he like he he, he has that moment of like hesitation looks in the mirror and then he kind of sits up straight like because i love my wife and sleeping with you is not worth jeopardizing my marriage exactly so the next big scene like Caitlin goes to the um she goes to the museum to pick up a man well she doesn't go there to pick up a man she goes there to just get her mind off everything and she ends up picking up a man there painting, <laughs> yeah because there's several paintings showing like and there's several different representations of relationships that she sees around there yeah. and then you bring up the fact that, like she has confidence issues and then do you think that's almost like like i'll show him confident i'll i could just pick this guy up and i'll probably yeah. have the best day of my life um because women we we hate to admit this but we do we do like to show off sometimes. Right. Like, we do like to be like, all right, listen, I can get them. Right. Just pull down my shirt a little bit, rough my hair a little bit, you know, put a little makeup on. I got this. Right. I got this. <laughs> um, and we're saying we're bringing, bringing up chauvinistic and everything, or misogynistic. Do you think that sequence is an example of that? Or do you think, because, like, she initially pursues him. Yes. Gets freaked out by him and then, like, is pursued by him for a little bit. And it's saying, like, it's cat, cat and mouse relationship goes back and forth between the two, uh, yeah. the businessman and her. Do you think... Do you think that sequence is necessary? Do you think it goes on too long? Or do you think that's actually good for her character um, and that character? I, I think it's a little Tom and Jerry-like. It's it's a little cartoonish to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that it went on, but just, just a smidgen longer than it had to. Okay. But maybe maybe it was necessary from what I saw because she drops the glove. Right. On um, purpose. On purpose. And she's like, all right, there's the bait. 
I got him. Walks around, stalks him a little bit. And then you kind of see something about to happen because going back to her being in the um, the doctor's office, mm-hmm. she, you know, she, she says, you know, I, I'm sick of my marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm done. I want to have an affair. Right. And I think at this point, it kind of got drilled into her head right after that, that I'm going to get a man today. Right. I'm going to sleep with him and I'm going to have an affair and I'm going to cheat on my husband, whether anybody likes it or not. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's chauvinistic, right? Um, but it's it's just it's all part of the game. Gotcha. That she has in her head, and she's playing, and she just she just needs to know at mm. this point. It's beyond thinking; it's now doing. Right. You know. And then they finally, kind of like. Without saying agreed, like she decides to get in the cab with right. him. They fool around in the back of the cab in broad daylight, driving down New York City. Oh, that poor taxi driver! <laughs> poor taxi driver. He's just like he's like angling the mirror to try and get a better look. He's probably gonna crash that into a bus. He's probably thinking, "Shit, I'm I gotta, gonna have, have to, to clean, clean this that. up." That's <laughs> one of my like my favorite like parts of Taxi Driver, a movie that you haven't seen, but like Taxi Driver uses a lot of voiceover as like as journal entries that. Travis Bickle, Robert De Niro's character's writing down, like, some nights I gotta clean the blood off the street, some nights I have to clean out the cum, and it shows him, like, this, like, wiping down with a rag, and he's just, like, and he throws the rag out of, and, like, the biohazard thing, and he walks out, and he walks out of the, like, grimiest, like, cab company in New York City, so oh. it's something, like, akin to that, it's probably mm-hmm. what to deal with. Um, I guess it's all in the heat of the moment, right? The heat of the moment. Lost in your eyes. All right, we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> she then eventually follows this businessman to a random building, I assume downtown. That she has, and she has that moment when she's walking the building when she's kind of like trying to get her bearings where she is and just goes into the building. Right. Has the affair with him. Is about to, uh, about to leave. Writes him a note. She writes a note, which I honestly just think probably is the stupidest thing she could have done. Mm-hmm. I just like you're having a one night stand. Yeah. Let that sink in before you do anything else. <laughs> right. But it's because of her writing that note yes. that she finds out that the businessman that she's with has a venereal disease. disease. And then it's like, ooh. Like, does she now have it? Like, did Presumably they use a condom? Doubtful. Did, was, you know, what kind of disease was it? Like, he doesn't go into it he just says venereal Venereal disease disease. and even in that word just venereal and disease together you don't want to hear it no (laughs) you don't want to hear it it's a big shock moment and she bolts up grabs her stuff and leaves and she's taking an elevator down she she realizes she lets her engagement ring yes and then she's like oh hits the emergency stop heads back up and a cup uh, mother and her daughter walk in, and the daughter, like the little girl, is just staring at her the whole time. The face of innocence. And- yeah, <laughs> and then like it's to, to show that like, oh, I am being judged by innocence here. That she like it's, it's like big, big three, three big events that uh, yeah, the show that having the affair was a bad idea. She goes, gets her gauge ring, and she's about to leave, and then she's brutally attacked by this blonde in sunglasses with a razor blade. Which, by the way, I think has to be the worst way to go down. Because from what I know of razor blades, especially the straight razors, the straight razors, that, that 
takes a while to cut through this skin because it's kind of no, it's it's really sharp i got i got nicked once when i had yeah. I, I got a shave uh, a haircut and shave once that's why i opted like i'm gonna cut my own face from now on i'm gonna cut my own face from now on if i'm gonna slip my own wrist <laughs> my own throat it's gonna be on my own accord or my own ignorance <laughs> i'm doing it with my own blood exactly um and then obviously she dies and then it starts the second story of liz um seeing the murder and seeing the murderer of it and starts the own investigation. Now, do you think, because one of the biggest things that criticism of this movie is Psycho. Right. Marion Kane, like Janet Lee, commits a crime against a man by stealing his money, runs, decides this is a bad idea, I should go back, is killed by yeah. Norman Bates. Yeah. What happens here? Same again, thing. Same <laughs> thing. It, it is... It uses the fundamentals of Psycho and everything like that, especially yeah. with killing off your main actress 40 minutes into the movie. Now, finding out the venereal disease is being stared down by the little kid and then murdered. Do you think it's a bit much of a punishment? Honestly, you just have to have a really crappy day sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes it has to build up that way. Like, I've had some pretty crappy days, yes. as you know. Yeah. Just to a point where I didn't think it was going to end, you know, but it eventually does. And just unfortunately, her ending came at a bad time. Yeah. You know, and I think all of it was just a part of the plot. Right. For the character itself. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was, you know, too much or anything. I think it was good for us as an audience to be like, oh, you did something bad. Right. And and now you're going to get it. It's funny because she's wearing all white that entire day. She is. And then she ends up being blood red and white as she as she goes out. I'm just like, oh. And you could argue the fact like, oh, it's plot before character becoming like things. Like that's a big like problem with certain movies that you seem like, oh, the plot dictated this person had to do this. Like, oh, the plot says, oh, that person's going to go into that house by themselves. But isn't that a story though? Isn't that how you're supposed to tell a story? Like. All the events lead up to this one person right. doing this one act, and yeah. then this happens. Yeah, I mean, like, but that's the, like, people say, like, you think of novelist's point of view, people say character comes first rather than plot. Right. Screenwriters, most of the time, usually, it's the opposite. It's a plot, like, whenever I write something, I think of a situation first, and then I try and find a way of a character to make it sense to fit in that, and right. make that believable. You right. Th- you think of... Hmm. You think of uh, Marty McFly and Back to the Future, kid who's yeah. late, who get, who's always late and always never. And he's never on time, and he seems to be never. He seems responsible, not too responsible, and stuff like right. that. Right. So now he's responsible for breaking his parents apart thirty years ago, and he has to have the responsibility of bringing him back and then be on time for the clock tower at the end. Yeah. And that's a that's a part where characterization and plot kind of meet, and it's perfect like that yeah and then for the rest of dress to kill the investigation is on now let's talk about dr ellie played by my cocaine oh, i'm stop. i'll stop that. uh your feelings on him as a character in this i love michael kane like i just i just love him mm-hmm. as an actor he's he's great in whatever he does and especially this movie mm-hmm. he just he's so twisted and I should say this is a spoiler spoiler filled review of Dress to Kill. The movie yeah. is thirty six years old, people, so 
If you haven't you... seen it by now, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, he's he's just so twisted, and he plays both sides of innocence and crazy. And I just at the end of this movie, like I'm not going to give it away, but we will. We're going to have to. We're going to have to talk about yeah. it eventually. But yeah. But at the end of this movie, it it just stuns me that I was like, <gasps> like it's um, him. Yeah. I can't believe it. And then the explanation of it, and it's like, oh. Okay. That explains a lot. Actually. Yeah. Um, like some of the favorite moments of Michael Caine's a- as an actor, I find in this movie, whether it be his one big scene between him and Dennis France, yeah, or when he's talking to Doctor Levy, like a patient of mine left a message on my phone and my razor's missing. It's a terrible Michael Caine impression. I'm going to stop that. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because we've seen because. Michael Caine is so prolific and he's in so much, and he, especially in his older age, it's nice to see a younger Michael Caine. But like, yes. you, but if you like, it's Duncan Casey who I did an interview with before. Like, if you recognize how Michael Caine's changed as an actor, like you watch something really early like Zulu or The Italian Jime and how, how his voice sounded very much like this. And then later on in like the Dark Knight trilogy and how his voice has kind of changed. He's smoking so many cigars over the years that's changed his voice. <laughs> ah, sure. And then you find like the in-between uh, movies like uh, Jaws the Revenge, who he's probably my favorite part of Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> favorite moment, he's crashed a plane on, on the ocean. It's kind of like it's about to sink. It's like He's about to swim over to the boat where everybody else is. The shark pops up. Oh, shit. And just kind of dives over the boat. It's just like so nonchalant. Oh I don't know God. why. I just love that line delivery. <laughs> um, it's funny. Like, okay, we're gonna tell you the spoiler is that we find out the woman who murdered Kate Miller is actually Michael Caine, dressed yes. up as a woman, going by the pseudonym of Bobby. We find out that Bobby is a schizophrenic personality within. Uh, Dr. Elliot, and wants to have a sex change, wants to have a pedectomy and become a woman. Yes. And the personality between Dr. Elliot and Bobby are conflicting for the control of the man. Right. And, or control of the body, I should say. And it's one of those things that, like, you've watched that entire movie. He does give hits. It's one of those movies that were, like, or The Usual Suspects or, or yeah. any great mystery or The Sixth Sense. You watch every scene a lot closer the second time around to see is there telltale signs throughout that? And there are. Yeah. And like every time like he gets aroused, he looks in the mirror and he judges himself. And then it's like, you don't want to do this yeah. right now. Because the explanation is we find out whenever he's aroused, he must attack as a, as a male. Bobby would take over and destroy that. Whatever was, uh, that's why he killed yeah. Kate Miller in the first place. But what I like to think of it is that Bobby's the high dose of estrogen that most men have. Mm-hmm. And, Probably, and I'm not a doctor, so don't even quote me on anything. God's sakes. God's sakes. I'm, I'm a doctor, not a pool man. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think he has just a very high dose of estrogen mm-hmm. when it comes to that side. And Bobby just releases that estrogen. Mm-hmm. And he becomes more feminine. Right. Than dominant. Is that, maybe, is that a good word to use? I don't even know. Mm. But he becomes more of that. And it's almost like he's just judging himself. Like, don't look at that woman. Right. How dare you? You're disgusting. Mm-hmm. Would you want someone looking at you like that? That's disgusting. Mm. You're disgusting, you know? And then he lashes out violently against that person. That's why he yeah. kills Kate Miller. 
and he tries to kill Liz because Liz tries to sleep with him to get the doctor's uh, patient list because she yeah. believes the patient's a real person separate of the doctor and tries to do what if she can't to get her hands on that. Yeah. And it has that one, the creepy scene at the end at Bellevue. When, yes. when the nurse is going to like check like his like the dream sequence the dream yeah. sequence and it just he, he like strangles her and then like he starts undressing and you're like what is going on what is he gonna do and, and he the- does it very very sexually too yeah a slow unzipping the unzippers yeah putting the shoes up on her and then slowly like starts to undress her very gently and it's yes like, and you just feel uncomfortable watching it is. it's a very uncomfortable scene especially as a woman because you're like what's he gonna do yeah i don't really want you touching me like that's a little gross but it's also one of those dream sequences that oh, i'm gonna get such lashback for this but i don't really care that turns you on just a little bit and i'm saying just a little bit it's mostly disgust but it's just a little bit now, because is it because of nancy allen in the shower or is it because of the act of undressing her it's a little bit of both okay um the act of undressing her he does it very slowly very mm. sensually he doesn't hurt her except for the fact that he just strangled her yeah but when he's undressing he's very careful almost like he's undressing a china doll mm-hmm. um and she kind of looks like that it's very yeah it's it's a very stylized sequence. That entire yes. like the last ten minutes, right there. Yeah, and you, you're you're a little you're a little turned on by it. A little, like a smidgen. Like I'm right. not saying like you're overall like overall turned on, but this it's just a little turned on. Mm-hmm. And then you have Nancy Allen, who's a gorgeous woman. Yes, and aged well. Yes, yes, she did. She did age very well. Um, in the shower and with the steam and the water and. It's just a very sexy scene. Mm. And then all of a sudden she gets a throw slash, but that's, you know, and then you're like, okay, back to reality. Hello. Right. right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, I, I think this is maybe one of Michael Caine's best performances, along with yes. Alfred or in Dirty Rotten, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, but there's too many to list there, so I'm yes. not going to bother with that. All right. <laughs> but since we brought up Nancy Allen so much more, your feelings on Liz Blake in this? Um, like I said, I had a couple of girl crushes in this, and she has to be, I think, besides, um, oh, and Angie Dickinson, mm-hmm. she has to be my number one, just because she is so fair, and she is really pretty, mm-hmm. and she is very sexy in this film. Right. So I, I loved her in this film, and, and she turned me on a little, not gonna lie. Okay. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you think of... Brian De Palma of casting her in movies like, like cast her in Carrie, right. a, as Chris, and like that she was the, the bitchy person who caused Carrie to have her. Yes. Then she's a prostitute in this, and then she's kind of like, in Blowout, she is a person who is like that kind of sleeps with men. So Dennis Francis is like a private investigator can take pictures of it and stuff like that. Right. And it makes you wonder and like they were Brian De Palma was married to uh Nancy Allen by before this movie. <laughs> and so it makes you it, it makes you wonder what how, what Brian thought of his wife. Yeah, like I don't I know you're trying to be like because what's more I don't want to say prostitution is sexy because it's it's definitely not no. a sexy thing. No. But Maybe that was his fantasy yeah, of this woman. And she's an actress, so she could be anybody he wants her to be. Right. 
So maybe in his head, the sexiest thing for her mm-hmm. was to be a prostitute and sleep with other men. And then she comes home to him every night. And maybe that was his turn on. Yeah, I mean, Who knows? yeah, I mean, like he'd be on set all day telling her what to do and then get, coming home and then have to well, all the things after that. Yeah. But the thing is, like with her as a prostitute in this movie, she's not a traditional street rocker she's an she's an escort she's an escort yeah and it's a very successful one because she plays the stock market whatever money she gets from the escort business yes and so it's not like she's playing like like a really rundown browser doing anything like that she's more of a one that kind of would sleep with elliot spitzer yeah <laughs> she's a high-end prostitute yes um there's nothing wrong with being a prostitute or a stripper it's your job and you gotta do what you gotta do right just to throw that out there. <laughs> and then, um, there's a moment, and it's not my favorite Nancy Allen performance. My favorite Nancy Allen performance is in RoboCop because she's a total 180 of what she is in this. That's right. She was in RoboCop. And that, like, the first thing that Paul Verhoeven did when he cast her is like, you got uh, cut your hair and, and everything like that. So because she was known for having very long, um, sultry hair. So like, all right, we're gonna cut your hair, and make it look like a man, and she's gonna be a badass. And, yeah, and, and, she, and like that's how she introduced him. Robocop was knocking a uh, uh, criminal out in the uh, right in the lobby of the police precinct. Yeah, and with her in this, that she's not, and she becomes the focus of the Bobby, the killer of the movie, and starts to chase her around New York City, and. That she's not a complete idiot, that she's willing she's and, I mean, like, tries to get away from it. And there's one moment in there where she's running in heels and she <laughs> hops the uh, ticket counter thing of the uh, subway in yes. heels and then this lunges herself over and keeps running. I'm like, that shit hurts, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't think I could run with that if I was wearing my normal shoes and just running. I don't think even me doing my yoga, I don't think I'd be flexible enough to hoist myself over that without, like, rolling somehow and falling in my face. Walking in heels is an art, okay? Um, it's especially to run in heels. I preferably don't like heels mm-hmm. um, just because my feet are kind of sensitive and, you know, I don't like standing on tiptoe for too long. But I Somehow do... you date me. Yeah, somehow I do. And, and I tower question... over you. Yeah, I'm questioning most. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we'll question hey. that later. <laughs> um, you know, I love you. I know. I love you too. Yay. Um, but like I said, walking in heels is an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the, the way they are now. Like I said, I don't like heels, but I do like them. Yeah. Like I love the look of them. I love the feel of them when you slide them on your feet and you just feel like you could take over the world in a good pair of high heels. Right. And I think that says to with any woman with any shoe, mm. like if you're a girl who loves sandals and that makes you feel like that, go for it. Right. Uh, but I love heels. I just don't like to wear them. <laughs> gotcha. My, one of my favorite jokes in Mrs. Doubtfire when Robin was walking with the first day of being uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. If I ever find the person who invented high heels, I'll kill him. <laughs> well, actually, here's a little tidbit for you. High heels were made for men. Um, back and I think long, long time ago. In the galaxy far, far away. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe 18th century, 17th century. Not sure. But they were made for men. Mm-hmm. Royalty. They would stand over them. And then heels meant, um, went to butchers. Okay. So that they wouldn't have to stand in the meat juice and the meats. Huh. Yeah. 
And then somehow women got a hold of them. And sorry, guys, we just made them fabulous. <laughs> uh, and, and like you take a you take a look at like sixties, seventies, and like even up to the early eighties, like men would wear heels too. But like yeah. it wasn't like it was more like it wasn't like the thin heel and think that would be like like a almost like a cylinder or something like that they would yeah. wear in their heels like, like a boot heel yeah almost. like look at prince prince would wear those all the time yeah <laughs> and I then <laughs> and then that that uh anecdote that uh kevin smith did like uh prince has prince has reeboks yes kevin prince has sneakers <laughs> what no <laughs> um anyway back to dress to kill yes now Taking into account because we've seen Body Double get together, yes, and we've we seen and we've watched Carrie. Which Nancy Allen performance do you like the most in her movies? She's done with Brian De Palma. I don't, I don't know. Mm. Like I think I like them all. Like I think she's just a good actress. Carrie, I like her in because she's kind of a bitch, right? Like she's just that one person that you love to hate. Mm. Like you know, like she kind of deserved it. Yes. Um, Body Double. Blow out. Blow out. Yeah. Sorry, you said body double and that got stuck in my head. Oh, uh, I apologize. Uh, body double, that was uh, Melly Griffith. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, blow out. I liked her in Blow Out. She was very, like, petite and fancy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only way I could put her. But she also has probably one of the most tragic endings in any oh movie with that. And it's one of those beautiful sequences. And John Travolta doesn't, John Travolta doesn't get a chance to save her. But then Ugh. the really twisted thing is that like since he he uses her scream that he recorded yes. in the movie that he was working on at the beginning of the movie and, and it, it drives him insane yeah. it freaks him out and you kind of wonder like why? why why would you that just to get a good scream in a movie well i think he just did that to punish himself for what he had done because he felt Maybe. extremely guilty about getting that cop killed that we heard in that story earlier in the movie that's true now it's funny because vicky has gotten me Posters like the one sheet posters, the really nice uh, posters of both blowout that I have on my back wall yes. and dress to kill over here. Yes, and I love them. And like the two of the my best posters I have in my Aww. room, and I love Happy. them. Mm-hmm. And we need to get them framed though, they yes. would look better if they were framed. Yes, they would. I just hate, yeah. I just hate putting up frames though. That's the that's the thing. I know you do <laughs> clearly. I mean. <gasps> Anyway, um, moving on <laughs> to Pete Mill, played by Keith Gordon. Now, it's funny because we watched two Keith Gordon movies in, yes, we in, in a very small amount of time. And I think I brought him I brought him up in the fact that he's in this. When Keith Gordon was the main actor of Arnie and Christine, and he plays Pete in this. And I think it was because of watching Christine. I'm like, oh, I want to watch him again. I think I, I bought Dress to Kill when we were watching yes, that. Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> Your feelings on Keith Gordon in this? Oh, he's so cute. He's just a little baby. It's adorable. And he just, he wants to get his mother's revenge so bad. And I think that's just what I love about his character is that he's so determined. And he's also so smart. Yeah. He's building a computer. Is that what he was building? Yes, he was. He was building a computer. And he also built a camera. Yeah. To put on the back of his bike. And his own, he manufactures his own mace at one point. Yeah, and I was like, "What? That's that's crazy!" Like, I loved his character. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because he plays like this kind of like nerdy kid, and but very like there's a, that one scene when he has with Michael Caine where he's talking about like, "Well, if you were in your father's, like, no, 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 Michael's not my my father." 
my father died in Vietnam, and he's very determined to know exactly where his place is in that family. Yeah. It's obviously he was more attached to his mother than he was his stepfather. Yeah. What were you going to say? Um, there's, there's also definitely the big man of the house theory there that when his dad died, there must have been a time where he had to kind of grow up a little bit. Right. And maybe that's why he took such an interest in computers because he knew that there, there would be big money in there and he could take care of his mother. Yeah. You know, I, what is it? The Oedipus complex where Got every it. man wants to marry his mother. Yes. Um, I think there might have been a slight crush there as well. Um, with the son and the mother, just because of that bond. Right. And when this other guy came in, that's why he hates him so much, is because he got the idea that he was the big man in the house. Right. He was going to take care of his mother forever. Who is this guy? Why is he here? But it's never apparent. It was never distracting throughout the movie. It's never. Right. It never goes full Norman Bates. Another psycho <laughs> kind of reference right there. Another cross-dressing movie too. Yes. Um, and I, and Keith Gordon's performance. And I love that moment where like Michael Caine's talking to Dennis Farina, and he puts the microphone into the wall, and he brings the, the headphone in, and he's listening to their conversation that's going on behind him, and he's looking forward. And he's watching Nancy Allen at the same time. One like, oh, she's a person of interest. I got to keep him in mind. And then that sequence of when he does the timing of everybody coming out of Dr. Elliot's office. And then he's yeah. like, all right, I need X amount of time. I, I, I take the average of the mean of the, like, of the all the times. So yeah. Like, all right. Builds his own camera and stuff like that. Gets the film. Leaves it there. Gets it developed. And they decides, like, all right, this person came from Dr. Elliot's office. We need to get in there. Finally, and then one point later in the movie, Nancy Allen's going to be murdered by Bobby, and yeah. he saves her because he had followed her from the the uh, he followed uh, Bobby from the office. Yeah. And then there's he's not he's part of the climax, but he's not the person who saved. He never say he doesn't save Nancy Allen in the end. No, he does. She, uh, he, he doesn't. He tries. Yeah. But a woman saves her at the end yeah. because the female cop that was following Nancy Allen the entire time yeah. saves her, and it's. That part shocked me because you don't like you think it's the same person because the same actress, the same actress who played Bobby, played the cop. Yes. that's why it messed with you. Depalma did it on purpose. The only time Michael Caine ever wore the outfit was when that climax at the end. Yes, and um, I think that part like shocked me a little bit because I was like, oh, there was another woman following her. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, if you look at this film, it's such. Besides certain parts, it's such a feminine, fe- I can't speak. Feminine? Feminine film. Right. Between Michael Caine dressing up as a woman, mm-hmm. him wanting to be a woman, the vision of the woman's body, mm-hmm. the flow of it, the colors. It's a very feminine film. Right. It Compared to Brian De Palma's other films, it's very, very feminine. I mean, you think of like... Scarface, that's a very masculine movie right there. But yeah. that's also questions of your own sexuality because he, uh, Tony Montana has those feelings towards his sister. Yeah. That, that, that it even comes to a head at one point. Like, fuck me, Tony. And she starts shooting a gun at him at that, at near the end of the movie. <laughs> or you think of The Untouchables, that's like a very manly movie. We're going to go stop Al Capone, yada, yeah. yada, yada. I mean, like, James Cameron always gets the credit by and Ridley Scott, like, being very feminist filmmakers yeah. because you think of like Sarah Connor, Ellen Ripley, yeah. but 
you could argue the fact that they, some of the Palmas like movies could is very strong women and stuff like that, but then he doesn't help himself with certain things like with with Body Double, where main character is following the woman he thought is being being uh, being followed by the uh, right. repairman, and he, she's trying on underwear, and he's just like. Hi, staring through the window like, <sighs> not that bad, but yeah, it's pretty no, close. If you think about it, though, women in certain films, maybe he's pointing this out. I don't I don't really know. I can't read Brian De Palma's mind. Right. But maybe he's pointing out that, especially in Body Double, because they're, they're kind of nothing but sexual objects in this movie. Right. And maybe that's what he's trying to point out with these movies, that women, hello, look at them. Right. I mean... You're treating them as nothing but sexual objects. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I, I don't know, maybe that's just the point that I thought. Right. But like you think of like Melanie Griffith's a very smart she pornographic is. actress and stuff like that. And she's not a complete airhead or anything like well, that. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying that, you know, you look at these women and they're just sexual objects at this point. But then, like you said, Melanie Griffith, Griffith can't speak. <laughs> It's a strong and smart woman in this movie. Mm-hmm. Very smart woman. And then you kind of question, like, all right, she's not just a sexual object. Right. She's smart, too. And I think maybe that's what he's trying to get, that all women aren't just there for your pleasure. Mm. Now, look at her. She's smart. She knows what she's doing. I mean, in the Palmer brought up a point, like, in the, the special features for body double, audiences would rather want, would follow a woman around with a camera rather than a man. I mean, like... If you, you put them in conflict or you put them in dangerous situations, you think of the slasher genre. Who are the who are the people that stop the monster at the end of slasher movies? It's women. It's women mostly. Like the big one is the biggest one that's probably you could argue is the the one that breaks in the pack is Nightmare on Elm Street two. Yes, but that's a, such a homoerotic feel to that. It, is. it really is. And to see like the main character like ah, screaming the whole time, it kind of kind of it's lessens little- the. Like, a little feminine there. Yeah, a little feminine there. Um, he never looks at a horror movie and said, oh, wow, like that was disgusting betrayal of women. I always thought like, especially horror movies, maybe that's why my that's my favorite category. It's because the woman always came out on top. Usually, yeah. Usually. And that always made me feel like kind of empowered. Like, if she can take on the beast, so can I. Right. You know? I never looked at that and went, oh, that's a disgusting betrayal of women. Yes, yeah, some of them got a little naked. But you know what? If we stop looking at the female body or the male body as something as sexual, get past that and actually look at what's actually happening, then, yeah. I mean, you, you think of, like, if, if you think of, like, America and Europe and when it comes to their, like, rating system, America will allow violence a lot easier than oh, yeah. sex. Oh yeah. In Europe, it's the opposite. They'll allow sex because they're not as you could say as prudish oh, yeah. as Americans, but they're very hard on violence. Women walk around on beaches, especially if they're not nude beaches, topless. Yeah. Because they're not they're a sexual objects. Here, we've come to know women and we men. Cover them. We cover them. But it's okay that, you know, we show them off as sexual objects. But God forbid, you know, we show them breastfeeding or doing anything else non-sexual with their bodies. It's like, (gasps) how dare What? That's what that, absolutely not. No. (laughs) It just, it kind of gets me aggravated because I'm like, I don't look at women's bodies. And I know it's supposed to be sexual. I don't look at 
women's bodies or men's bodies as something sexual. It's their body. Mm. Like, yeah, all right. She's got a nice body. Whatever. Yeah, move but on. Exactly. Like, I'm not going to stare at it and go, oh, wow. Oh, my God. You know? It's a body. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Everyone has one. It's yeah. really not the first time you've seen yes. a body, you know? And I just feel weird that we all we always sexualize every little solitary thing. Mm-hmm. And moving on from Pete, and, like, Pete is, like, part of, like, the dream sequence at the end. Like, he kind of reminds, like, the sequence at the end of the movie is that Dr. Elliot's been captured, goes to Bellevue, apparently breaks out, and comes to get Nancy Allen. Yes. And it's a very long sequence that he is gets into the house. Um, Peter's doing his stuff with his computer. Nancy Allen's in the shower, and she thinks that something's going on, and she tries to get out of the shower without causing suspicion and get a razor blade to defend herself, and she ends up being killed. And then she wakes up like, oh, my God, oh, my God, and she feels like she's being going to be plagued by these nightmares. Now, with with that, like I said, another thing will jump to the end. Like another thing is like Carrie ends the send way, ends the send way. Yes, with in a dream, dream with, in a dream sequence. Now, do you think that's kind of forced in this movie? Do you think that's out of nowhere? Do you think it's a, do you think it's a cop out ending for this movie? I don't think it's it's a cop out ending. Maybe he just really likes the fact that he ended up on a dream sequence, right? Um, but I think it's kind of relevant because not going to lie, you've been through something very traumatic, mm-hmm. um, something that really changed your body, put a lot of stress on your mind and your body doesn't know how to cope with it. Right. So instead of talking it out or whatever, mm-hmm. she's having nightmares and that's a normal thing for people who are under that much stress, mm-hmm. um, to have nightmares about their incidents. Right. Um, so I don't think it's a cop out at all. I think it's kind of a natural thing to have, mm-hmm. especially for um poor Liz who's yeah. been through all that. Yeah. And then she lies about a nightmare to get the end to Dr. Elliot's office. So I think it's like almost like like Yeah. And it's like, Oh well, you you brought you put that idea out in the universe and now the universe comes back and and bites yeah. in the ass a little bit for it. But at yeah. least she's she's physically saved, mentally not so much. It kinda ends on the note like what's gonna happen to her. Yeah. And the la- last big character we'll talk about is De- Detective Marino, played by Dennis <laughs> France. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Dennis France is like can do no wrong in my opinion. There's so many act- like so many actors like you just watch like oh he's in this movie I'll watch yeah. this. I mean, like he's obviously he's in been a bunch of De Palma movies. This he's in Blowout. He's in Body Double. He's in Die Hard Two. He was on NYPD Blue for years. Yes, and um. I think he's fantastic in this, and it's like, and he plays like a typical ooh, like 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 was this chick looking to get killed? Like ooh, ah. What he, do you mean? You know what? F you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like when the first like times like f bombs started to become very rather prevalent in movies at that point. Um, typical New York Brooklyn cop with that accent, leather jacket, the yep. the pinky ring, that gold mm, necklace, mustache, the mustache, the and <laughs> he brings a lot of levity to this movie, right? And it's kind of yeah. something you need after like the big traumatic sequence of having uh, Andrew Dickinson killed off, like the scene prior. You need right. you need a break of that. Oh yeah, and like. Uh, 
I wouldn't say like he's the best part of any movie, but it, he he's a def Dennis Rand is obviously a bright spot in any movie he's in. And I, I mean, like like especially in Die Hard too, when he's arguing with uh Bruce Willis, who's another quick witted East Coast, yes. like, quick witted like he's an East Coaster. Granted, um, Dennis Rand is from Chicago, but you had the kind of mentality of like. Like oh you're you're the East Coast and everything like that and I'm yeah. stuck in there's the West Coast and I'm stuck in the middle because I'm from Chicago I'm the Midwest <laughs> I have I have a lot to prove and stuff yeah. and, and do you think um, do you think it was wrong for him to kind of put Liz in a a rock in a hard place honestly I don't I don't know. Because on one hand, he's literally just trying to do his job. Right. He's trying to get information out of this woman who was basically... The only witness. The only witness at the time. So for him to put her in a rock in a hard place was kind of his job. Did I say it was right? No. He could have been a little bit more eased into it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this poor girl just witnessed someone die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a prostitute, but you didn't have to kind of throw that in her face. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're like, alright, a murder just happened. He's just trying to get his guy as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. So I get that, but I don't think he really had to do it that way. <laughs> but at least he never, like, at least we, we find out, ooh, sorry. Uh, I just smacked the microphone <laughs> there. Um, Good job. <laughs> He didn't put her out there without any protection, but he had a cop follow her yeah. at all times. So he did care. Yeah, and like it would be kind of it just just so happened that the at the cop end up looking like her. You could say it's a little convenient for the movie, but I think it works in the long run. And he said, "I wasn't gonna let you go in there by yourself. I wasn't gonna let you be go out there with you being a target of a serial killer or exactly a, or just not a serial killer, but a killer in general." Yeah, and. I love it. Like he's in such a like kind of like a conservative person when when he says like one of these weirdos you're talking about, Doc. Like the definition, it's not weirdo. And and I think, oh man, he gets very very defensive there. Yeah, no, and because he he sees the de- detective as an outsider person, not intellectually on his level at that point. And I feel like he he took the word weirdo as directed towards himself. Do you think, <laughs> do you, all right, now, do you think Bobby sent that, said that, or do you think Dr. Elliot said that? Well, I've watched United States of Terra, and it's it's kind of the same concept. This, this woman has multiple personalities, mm-hmm. but when Terra is under a lot of stress, certain personalities come out Mm -hmm. and how this all started was that she was raped back in college Mm -hmm. and she came up with the character uh, i forgot the character's name but it was her rapist right and she came up with that character and that's how her body coped with it Mm -hmm. so i feel like when he's stressed or when he's around bobby's there as kind of a protection for him so i do think that um Bobby did say that because right. he did. He got very defensive, but he didn't let. But he didn't let that like dominate the conversation. Mm-hmm. That he kind of eased back from that. Yeah. In, that in that scene, it's almost like he had to kind of control himself, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember the actual definition of it. Oh man, stuff and and then like Dennis France says it back with a tone like, oh, and suffer without maladaption. Or I, I, there's a bunch <laughs> of other things that go with that, right? Um. So yeah, like Dennis France, hilarious, hilarious in this movie. He was great, <laughs> and one of the bright spots of this movie. Now, 
It was like it's a small cast of the movie. It's not a long movie, so like an hour and like forty minutes. So yeah. it, it, you don't need a ton of characters to fill that out that right. movie. Now, there are certain sequences in the movie that we kind of brought up a little bit, like the like we said we brought up with the elevator scene. Yeah, and like, do you think that sequence was prolonged unnecessarily? No, I don't. Honestly, I think it was just. A right amount of timing it was it was dramatic it was yes. supposed to be dramatic like a woman just got killed in an elevator with a street razor by a blonde woman yeah. and the fact that nancy sees the the blonde woman and the reflection in of the action yeah it just i think that was it was such a beautifully done scene yeah and it gives me goosebumps just to think like oh my god there's another person in this thing this um Elevator. Elevator. And like, cause she, because Angie Dickinson goes to reach out for help, yeah. and Nancy Allen goes to grab her, and then, like, it's the reflection of light off the razor that catches Nancy Allen in the eye, and that's when yeah. she looks up and sees it. And, like, it has that moment where, like, De Palma uses slow, slow motion very effectively in that sequence. Yes. And it's like, oh. Because you think that would be a moment where time would theoretically slow down. Yeah. And but then there's, like, the moments where, like, Bobby grabs Andrew Dickinson by the cheek, like the jaw, and drags like the razor across like her cheekbone, and it's like, and you're like, ah, it's it's like you think of like Dead Alive or like or Brain Dead, Peter Jackson's like big zombie movie, where like zombies are punching through the heads of people and stuff like that. Like it's so over the top in cartoon. We have a kung fu fighting priest at one point. So you become kind of desensitized to the over the top violence and the I kick ass for the oh, Lord. Lord. <laughs> oh, we need to watch that again. That oh. was great. Uh, but then you think of, or like then you think of like in the original thing when they're doing the blood test and they have to cut everybody's thumbs. So you're like, and, then, and you're like, like it's like a paper cut worse, where it's like. A slow incision like that will, is more effective than probably even as effective like a as, ch- 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 you know, quick cuts and stuff. Or like even like you could argue the fact of like the chest burster and alien because that happens quick and it punches out. You're like, oh, that is a shock moment. But like if you prolong it and just because you don't know what's happening, to the, him. you're like, what the hell is going on? Oh my god! Oh my god! And then all of a sudden, this thing pops <laughs> out of his chest. No, that's a quick cut done right oh, and you're like oh oh that that's a oh. shock moment or uh, another one that really unnerves me is in hostile part two where one of the girls is hanging upside down and like woman walks in the... it traces her leg with the scythe and you like kind of just and you hear it drag across her skin before she cuts you're like ah that was actually eli roth doing that to that poor girl and because the actress, I guess, couldn't do it right or do it slowly. And he was like, no, 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 let me show you. And the way he did it, she was like, I've never been so turned on and scared in my life. <laughs> it's almost like like you, like you another weird director fact. Like Dario Argento, you see any of Dario Argento's movies, like whether it be Deep Red, Suspiria. Yeah. Whenever you see hands murdering somebody, those are Argento's hands. Yeah. And so you think like, the black leather gloves strangling woman that those are Argento's hands. It's a weird thing, especially <laughs> since he's murdered his daughter in movies and stuff like that. So oh, God. That's, that's a whole other podcast itself, like Argento's relationship with his daughter. Anyway, yeah. anyway, back to dress to kill. Um, 
there's a few other things I want to bring up and then we'll wrap this up. Now, De Palma at the time was used a lot and he's pro- prolific of using like split screens, split screens or split diopters. And those are do- two very different things. Now, split diopters is a filter you put on top of the lens that right. allows something very close to the lens to be in focus and something very far away in the lens be in focus with just a strip down the middle being out of focus. Like you think of, for example, you think of, say in Pulp Fiction, when after Bruce Willis is hit Bing Rames with his car and they're running down the alleyway. Right. And Bruce Willis stops. He tries to catch his breath and he's very close to the lens and like down the alleyway you see Ving Rames come and he fires his gun. They're both in focus. Right. Or another big one in that uses split diopters like you see it a lot in Jaws. Um, I'm trying to think of any particular moments that, that does it. Oh man. And, and anyway. And then there's split screens where there's actually two images on the screen. There's two different locations that there's been played at both times for you. And right. he uses split screens rather delicately. He only does it like once or twice in that in dress to kill. And then there's a moment where he does split screens. He has split diopters within the screen. So you have like four images in focus at one point. Yes. And it's the one scene we're talking about is when both. Liz and Dr. Elliot are watching the same broadcast of a transvestite talking to a late night talk show host. A transgender, transgender. or whatever you want to call it. Um, because did, I, don't, I don't remember if he had the operation at that point. I think he did. Yes, he did because they asked him, well, are you still heterosexual? Yeah, and he's, and like, oh, then, he's like, oh, I've always been a devout heterosexual. Yeah. Okay. I still love women. Right. Um, and I knew a person like that in real life. I, I didn't know them personally, but I knew somebody of that led that right. had a sex change to become a woman to date. Uh, so you're technically men. becoming an a lesbian, I guess. Um, I don't. I don't really know too much about transgender. I would love to sit down and interview someone. Yeah, and just ask them We're all not these questions. Assume anything, right? Yeah. I wouldn't like. I'm so for their rights, and just to throw that out there. Oh yeah, no, we're not like saying like like. Salem witch trials or anything like that. No, no. Right. Everybody has a right to be as miserable as everybody else together. Everyone how- is beautiful. And if you don't feel comfortable in your skin, I say go ahead and change it. If you feel like a woman, dress like a woman, be I a feel woman. Feel like a real woman. Yes. I say do it. If you feel like a guy, do it. Whatever makes you happy, do it. I don't care. And that's it, like these techniques in here. And there's one of my favorite moments is in when Peter's listening to the conversation of um, Detective Marino and Dr. Ellie having a conversation. Keith Gordon's in the foreground. He's got one split diopter and he has the other diopter having them in focus. Or probably one of my favorite shots in the movie is when he's, when Keith Gordon is um, keeping time for everybody coming in. He had the close up of the the stopwatch and then yes. you have the focus of the door having that and it's like click, click and it does it like five or six times it's a technique that doesn't get used that often anymore no. and i kind of i may end up using this one of my shorts just to have it in there because and we may not do it a traditional split diopter have the filter right. but we may have this shoot something really close and shoot something really far and then have right. tom um morph the two images together <laughs> Do you think that's distracting for the movie or do you think that's appropriate for this? I think it's appropriate for it um, just because 
it like my mind it gave me a bit of a headache okay just because my mind's like that's not supposed to be in focus like what's happening it kind of confused my brain but I think it also made the film look a little sharper because I know what's going on in the background. Right. I can see what's going on in the background and it's not blurred out. Mm -hmm. I'm not focused on one image. My face is all over the place and it it draws a lot more attention to the film. And you think of like, well, De Palma shot this anamorphic and now anamorphic is known for having a very narrow depth of field, depth of focus, having... Narrow depth of field where you have focus. Right. It's like hard to get close up, gain close ups and having things deep in focus. That's why a lot of people were saying like, oh, I want to have deep focus. That's why David Fincher didn't want to use anamorphic because it's too much of a hassle. Right. And split diopters was appropriate for that. Right. For this time because Super 35 film was not a really common thing. But I'm getting very, very technical there. And I, <laughs> I apologize if I go over anybody's heads there. Right over. There <laughs> um, I think it's bold to use that, but like any technique, it can be overused. I don't think it gets to that point though in this. No. Uh, I mean, like, you, but you think of like shaky cam in movies or too many zooms in a movie. Like, like, any technique can be overdone. It depends on how you use it. I can't stand shaky cam. I really, I just, it gives me such a headache to watch those films with the shaky cam. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know what's going on. It right. confuses me. It makes me want to turn the movie off mm-hmm. just because I can't see anything. And there's a difference between shaky cam and handheld. Yes. I mean, you think of, because well, when we, um, we've watched The French Connection, haven't we? I'm not sure. Hmm. It's been it's been, been a, a while. couple of years. It's been a while since. <laughs> or you think of when we watched uh, To Live and Die in L.A. That has handheld cameras in it, but it's never to the point of like uh, uh, right. Like that's what you you can make an argument about. Like the later born movies, it gets a little too much when it comes to shaky games. So even like Dakota, who's a huge born fan, says like that's a bit much in that one fight scene when. He's going over the rooftops and he flies through the window and stuff. Well, so, those are the movies that I just, I can't watch because it gets me kind of sick to my stomach because it's all over the place. And right. like, I can't. I just can't. And, and it's funny because, like, I've had weird motion sickness uh, only a handful of times in movie theaters. When we saw the Dark Knight trilogy, I got sick. Yes. Well, that's also due to the fact that you didn't eat anything within those three movies. That's true. So We only ate, like, chocolate and mints. So, yeah, that my stomach was just, like, <laughs> like, pissed off at me about that anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was not a good night for anybody. Um, I think so, Zach was just like, I, I'm gonna puke. Because <laughs> it, it's it's a rough marathon because each movie, like it was, we were like there for like over six hours at that point with those yeah, same movies. Yeah, we were there late. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so split diopters and split screens used in this movie, very effective. And now one last thing, one of the last things I want to talk about is the music by Pino DiGiorgio. Who also did the music for Carrie and uh, Body Double and Blowout? Right. Your feelings of the music in this? It was pretty. Yeah. Like I feel like I could listen to that soundtrack and just sit there and listen to it. You know. It's funny because I was listening to the soundtrack when I was doing my pre-production <laughs> before you came over. Especially the 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 sh- the score for the shower scene. It's very pretty and very yeah. Just ease into it. It's simple. Yeah, and then. And it's that's 
Pino's music is so popular, I mean, like in Blowout specifically yeah. between Nancy Allen and John Travolta's character, that Tarantino used it for a brief part in Death Proof. Right. When um, Jungle Julia is texting, I guess, her ex boyfriend at that point, and like it has, she has that moment of like, can't wait to see you, and the guy never shows up. Yes, that's right. Okay. Um, so I would highly recommend tracking down the soundtrack because, and like, yeah. and if you don't want to buy the whole soundtrack, there is a Brian De Palma collection of Pino's like few select tracks of his work from his work on uh, Carrie, Dress to Kill, Blowout, and right. uh, Buy Double. Right. So, so I say check those out. Yes, definitely. Um, now I bought this this Blu-ray from the Criterion Collection because Criterion Collection, if you don't know, is a art house film distributor that do very high quality DVDs and Blu-rays and they make each package very special. But they also they also know the package is special so they can charge a little bit more. But right. you are paying you every cent that you pay, you get in the package. And like when we were watching the, the behind the scene features and then we were looking through the booklet, it's a very nice It is. I mean it I remember I took a picture and put it on my Instagram of it when I got it. I'm like, it's one of the most the highest like things I have on my Instagram is because of that. <laughs> yeah. So I highly recommend getting the Criterion Collection if you can shell out the money for it. Now, do you recommend this movie to people? I do. I think it's a it's a very interesting film. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like thrills and kills, yes, there I am saying now. Yes. Um, and. As a woman, I think you definitely should go see it. Right. It's a sexy film, um, except for the rape part, which is not sexy at all. No. Um, as a woman, I would definitely, I would definitely recommend this movie. Mm-hmm. I would definitely go out, see it, um, buy it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's a gorgeous film, mm-hmm. and it's like I said, it's very very feminine. And mm-hmm. I never looked at it as it was a horrible film or mm-hmm. anything anti woman. In fact, it had s- some strong women in it. Right. I mean, like the woman who kills poor Michael Caine. Right. <laughs> you know, she was the hero of the day, not the guy cop. Right. So I definitely would recommend this movie to a lot of people. Yeah. That she doesn't kill. She wounds him. She wounds him. Right. That's yeah. why he ends up getting sent to the. Um, That's right. The uh, okay. Bellevue. But um, yeah, I highly recommend this. And it's it's tough when I try to rank Brian De Palma movies in my head because I love Blowout because of just the execution because that's De Palma firing all cylinders. Right. This is very close to that, and I don't know. It's really tough for me sometimes to find like which <laughs> like because I'm like oh I really like this these two and then I'm like. Carrie's really good too. Oh, Carrie's great. Carrie, like, oh. Carrie is the ultimate revenge film. <laughs> yes, and probably probably one of my favorite high school movies behind The Breakfast Club. Yeah, that says something about me. I don't know. Yeah, that there's there are two extremes right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then of course, Body Double, I really dig The Untouchables, and then there's a movie called Sisters. Came out in the mid seventies. That was before his big hits with Carrie and like. He did a movie called Obsession. 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 Um, Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Obsession. <laughs> Those perfume commercials from the 80s are hilarious. Oh, God. Um, where would you rank this in like the De Palma movies I've shown you? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Like, I think I'm, I'm 
very up and down with it. Right. So I'm not sure. Gotcha. It's definitely in my top five, though. Yeah. Definitely in my top five. Um. So, yeah, I'd say definitely check out Dress to Kill. It's readily available on online, whether it be yes. like DVDs and stuff. Like you don't have to get the Criterion collection of it. I just highly recommend it because I'm a Blu-ray enthusiast. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes, I, I just like rearranged all my Blu-rays. And I'm like, I have a bunch. I have like two drawers filled of them. And that, yeah. those, those, those don't have the James Bond collection and the Batman 66 collection that you got me. Yes. He got very, very excited. Oh yeah, very excited. It, the only like the only crappy things because I love those collections and the Halloween collection. Also, you got me. Yes, like, I did. They're just so bulky that I can't put them in alphabetical <laughs> order with everything else. I'm like, oh, ah, yeah. just jumps letters in my alphabet alpha, alphabetized yeah, uh, collection I, here. God, but someone with a little bit OCD that drives me nuts. That, that's why I'm just like, oh, all right, it's gonna have to, it's gonna have to be like that because it's not practical at this point. Anyway, so I definitely say check out Dress to Kill and. My question is to you, Figgy. Yes, dear. If you want people to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Oh, that's a very good question. On Facebook, I am Victoria B. Mermaid. Um, don't laugh at that. <laughs> I am not it's the that. only name it would let me change it to. Okay. <laughs> um, Victoria B. Mermaid. On Instagram, I'm Erla2300. A R R O W 2300. Pinterest, I'm the same thing. And I have no Twitter. Oh, and Tumblr, I'm Arrow2300 as well. Okay. Yeah. If you want to follow me on social media, as I said before, the head of the podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 I still want to find the person who has Timothy Rooney 1, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, All you know is that they're kind of better than you because they're number one. He was number, number one! one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Instagram at trooney1012. You can follow my YouTube page and Facebook page under through the lens productions which is also my website if you want yeah. to take a look at my youtube page my has my latest short film a cowardly lot is up and uh, i'll it's leave a very link. good i highly recommend it thank you you're welcome uh so i hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast of review of dress to kill on soundcloud.com and keep a lookout for more geek and pop culture podcasts coming from this podcast so i hope everybody's enjoyed this Vicky, thank you for coming and being on the oh, episode. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. And I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>